everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell, and today we have an NWSL roundup with Kim McCauley of the All for Eleven uh, blog over at SB Nation. Kim, welcome back. Thanks for being here, and apologies for calling it a blog. I panicked in the moment. It is not a blog, and I hate when people call things blogs. I don't mind it. All right. All right. Maybe that's, maybe that's just my own projection from being told consistently that, oh, you still do that blog thing? It's like, sure. That's the easiest way to go with it. Uh, you know, I've SP, I mean, what is the, what does the B in SP Nation stand for? Right? Like, I can't yeah. exactly All right. get mad about people calling it a blog. Um, well, uh, as I said, you're here to talk uh, NWSL. Uh, we're going to talk actual games in a moment. But first, uh, we now have Twitter accounts for, I believe I've got the the number down. We've got the playground in the background. We've got a Twitter account for hydration breaks, for the sun glare, for the sunset, for the crowd noise, for the ambulance, and the farm in the background. There may also be one for the turf burn that was recently added. Uh, how many of those are you currently following? And if you actually do have an answer to that, uh, is there one that you particularly enjoy? Zero. Do you think those are all one person, or are those each each individual fans who have uh, taken interest in one particular thing? Given how much they interact with each other, mm-hmm. from what I've what I can tell, it's probably, if not one person, a small number of people who know each other. That seems very likely. Um, I wanted to focus on the turf burn one for a moment because of all of them, that is the one that like feels like it could actually motivate some change and and uh make people maybe pay attention a little bit because turf is pretty destructive. Uh I think I I slid on a turf field like three and a half months ago and it still has not healed all the way. So watching say Lindsay Haran slide like four different times in one game, I have to feel a little bit there. Do you have an idea of like why are they playing these games on turf? Is it just the facility and that's what they have? Or like did they look at other areas as far as you understand, or was it always going to be turf? I think this is just the this is just the facility that was available. Mm-hmm. It was like this is a, the place to play that has good training fields and uh, hotel and like every you know everything that they need in close proximity, and they can like have a bubble, but also uh, you know have everything the players need. Uh, this was probably the best site for that, and unfortunately, that includes a turf field. Yeesh. I mean, I guess in terms of wear and tear, at least you're not playing on a, a field that's been played on so consistently that it's all just like one big mud puddle. I guess I would take turf over giant puddle, uh, but maybe that's the only condition in which I would take turf. Uh, yes. That said, we're still getting uh, some, some, good, some good gameplay, some great quality of games. Let's talk about some stuff that happened this weekend. Uh, the Courage continue to win, uh, 1-0 win over Chicago yesterday with Julie Ertz lining up at center back, and that's where I want to start. I, she, I know she's been a center back both for club and country. It still is a little bit jarring to me to see her in that position. Was this a sort of like defensive approach? Was this the coach trying to try something different against the Courage? Was this just sort of rotation, or is this something that we should sort of see going forward with Julia Ertz being more defensive than being in the midfield? Uh, no, she's she's a center back for Chicago when uh, when everybody's fit. Like that's mm-hmm. just that's just her starting role for them. And uh, I think the biggest reason is that Daniel Colaprico is really good. Yeah, the uh, the defensive midfielder in front of her, like the the way the best way for chicago to 11 like really excellent professional footballers on the field at the same time is to play julia at center back because uh daniel colaprico is one of the best defensive midfielders in the league mm-hmm. 
Um, and uh, despite that approach, she does have the great tackle. I love that we got the clip of the amazing tackle from Julie Ertz and not the second before it when she gives the ball away that necessitates that tackle, but she makes the play there. Uh, not enough, though, the courage with the win. They've started uh, three wins, zero losses. Have you seen any vulnerabilities from the courage so far, uh, or is it basically going to be a battle for second place still? No, I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're going to go into a knockout tournament here, so uh, anything can happen. Obviously, they could just, just you know, one day could not be their day. They could have a bad game. Um, sorry if you hear, sorry, uh, <laughs> by Adele blasting into my microphone because somebody outside my window is blasting it. But uh, I mean, I think we're going to have to pay royalties, but it'll be fine. Whatever. It's fine. Just talk over it, and then I think the, uh, the I song said, detector I things said, can't get it. Also, I, I don't know why I said sorry when the name of the song is Hello. Um, anyway, <laughs> North Carolina Courage look really good. Um, I think it's encouraging for the Red Stars, though, that they, you know, they didn't give up that many open play chances. Um, and they, they kept a, a clean sheet for 81 minutes before they gave up a set piece goal. Um, Chicago looked really good. I thought they, I thought they played excellently, excellently mm-hmm. in that game. But uh, North Carolina, as usual, finds a way even when it's not really clicking. Um, and they just, you know, they conceded that, that one goal, um, against, uh, Portland, uh, that was kind of a weird, like freak goal. Um, otherwise they, like, I don't know who's going to, who's going to score on them. Um, they, now that they've, they've had some time, um, they kind of shake, shake, they've shaken the rust off mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, they just look so much better than everybody else. Well, to the extent that I think you suggested in an article uh, last week, the Courage might be better than any two teams combined. My money, when when thinking about how you were going to combine them, was on Washington and Chicago. I think Claire Watkins went with Chicago and Portland. It sounds like you've gone an- another way entirely, which is to say, I know you've gone another way, but I wanted to talk about it because you had a team I did not expect to be thrown in there. Yeah, Orlando, because they're, nobody expected that because they're nah. not in the tournament. Well, there's that. But... <laughs> But yeah, if if you were going to put any two teams together to beat North Carolina, I think it would be Chicago and Orlando, assuming that you are getting like fully healthy Orlando, like you get Alex Morgan, because the the problem with basically any other teams that you put together is like North Carolina has most of the really good strikers in the league right now. Mm-hmm. And the only uh, center forward who like on her best is like definitely, you know, top level or that would like add to mm-hmm. any other, you know, top team is, is Alex Morgan. So uh, those are the two teams that I'd put together to make a challenger. And I still think they're worse than North Carolina. <laughs> what I don't a- think you can, I don't think any, any two teams like best 11 combined is, is better than North Carolina. So what about if you took like all of the other teams currently in the Challenge Cup right now with the rosters they have? If you were to build like an all-star team from those that doesn't have, you know, Megan Rapino, Christian Press, Tobin Heath, do you think you could then if you gave them like if you put this team together, you gave them some time to train, then do they challenge the courage or are the courage still that strong? No, if you don't if you don't get Press or Morgan, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Wow. All right. Then let me let me ask you this then, as long as we're doing fantasy roster construction. Based on what I've seen so far, like I already knew she was very good, but based on what I've seen so far, if you were constructing an NWSL roster and you're building around one player, who would it be and why is it Davinia? Davinia rules. Um my I think my answer would probably be Rose Lavelle. Yeah, but, yeah that's fair. Uh, 
but D- yeah, Dabinia's been nuts, right? Not only is she like one of the most creative players in the league, um, and you know technically skilled, but her her defensive work rate mm-hmm. from when she came into the league to now is night and day. And seeing like how just all over the place she is and how much she runs is uh, it's unbelievable. Her her passing vision as well is the one that got me this weekend. Just that she, because as you said, like North Carolina's attack is so strong. Obviously, its defense is strong too, and its defense can score goals, as we we learned, or maybe already knew from Abby Arceg, but we saw more of that. But like that, she can sort of be on the ball, have two defenders around her, and still find an o- like a relatively open player forty yards away and play them into space perfectly. That was the thing that really stood out to me from Dabinia's performance this weekend. And it's it's probably a thing that that you are more like that is more common. But just watching it, maybe just because I haven't seen her like since the World Cup or haven't really really focused on her since last season, it was just another reminder of how good Dabinia is. And if you're the opposing team, like what are you going to do? Like if you close her down really mm-hmm. aggressively she can pass to an open player who is a world-class player, whoever she's going to pass to, or she can pretty easily dribble by you. Um, so, like, what do you do yeah. against, like, she she's a hard player to play against in any team, but in North Carolina especially. Like, the decisions that you have to make about which player, about, like, do you stay in shape or do you close down uh, a player aggressively who's in a dangerous position, like, you're you're kind of screwed either way. And that's sort of what Chicago were uh, on the day, uh, although it's maybe closer than I, I, I thought. Chicago are currently joint bottom of the table, only one point from their first three games. Uh, what is going wrong there? Uh, you you just put out a, a new column where you sort of, like, it sounds like you're of the mind that as long as they make it to the knockout round or when they do, that they should still go pretty far. But they have not yet impressed. They haven't really replicated uh, the goals due to the absence of Sam Kerr. I'm wondering how big of a factor that is and why Chicago haven't hit the ground running so far. I think they're fine, honestly. Um, the The first game against the Spirit, they admitted that, like, they were not really ready for the anthem thing and they had some really hard conversations right before the game and that they like they started really poorly because of it um and i don't think that's an excuse i think that's that's honestly what happened um the second game they made 11 changes they played all their backups and then third game they played the best club team in the history of american soccer um so I think that's just really <laughs> unlucky set of games mm-hmm. and set of circumstances, and they're fine. From what you understand, what were those conversations, or why were like were they were they disruptive? Like were there arguments within the locker room, or was it just more so the conversations about kneeling, about what kneeling represents, that like took an emotional toll on the team? Yeah, I don't think it was arguments. Okay. I think it it was just like having to find like they they obviously the players had talked about that before. Mm-hmm that like with with what happened with George Floyd and the protests around the country like I don't think anybody you know could avoid talking about that stuff but uh, I don't think they'd they'd really talked about who was going to kneel who was going to stand what that meant to people Um, I'm sure those conversations were respectful Mm -hmm. it you know it sounds like from what Julie Ertz and Casey Short and Rachel Hill have said that those conversations were respectful all around but that doesn't mean they're not extremely emotionally draining um and yeah it seemed like they were just they were just not ready for how that moment was going to feel um but clearly they've they've moved past that because despite the loss i thought they played really well uh on sunday 
Mm-hmm. Who have been the the performers for Chicago that maybe like tend to fly under the radar? Like you mentioned, Danny Caldaprico, uh, not quite as much of a household name as say Julie Ertz or Listener. Uh, who who have you been impressed by with the Red Stars? Well, Short was a lot was a lot better um, against North Carolina than she was against uh, Washington, as mm-hmm. you as you might expect. And uh, Bianca St. George is who um, I'm not sure if technically she's a rookie or not because she didn't she was drafted in 2019 and then didn't play because of injury so it's her her first season playing in the league um the right back she's looked she's looked really really good um she's excellent going forward solid defender got to get better as a defender to be like a real top player but um for her first games in the league i thought she looked she's looked excellent uh the other game late last night was uh we had the Portland Thorns drawing one uh, one with the Washington Spirit with uh, the opening goal, I believe, from Lindsey Horan on the diving header. Uh, the, like like another kind of like strangely specific question from what I have seen uh, in the game so far. Lindsey Horan seems to be just this consistent aerial threat. Is she? Is Alex Morgan maybe the biggest aerial threat in the league when she's fully fit, or is Lindsey Horan up there in your estimations? No, Lindsey Alex Morgan's solid in the air, but mm-hmm. she's not. She's not like ridiculous in the air. Lindsay Horan is ridiculous in the air. Um, and I don't it's I don't even know if it's like a, a height or a hops thing. She's just yeah. like she's so strong and yep. like she doesn't get mo- like if she picks a line that she's making a run on, like nobody can can put her off it. And uh, I think that that's a more important factor than her heading ability or jumping ability is that she's like she just cannot be moved. Uh off whatever line she takes. That makes sense to me because the delivery from Megan Klingenberg is good. It, it's excellent delivery off of like a short set piece, but it definitely, I watched it 10 times trying to figure out like how designed this set piece is. And really what it comes down to is like when I think design set piece, I think like a quick restart and then it's like a touch here and then a pass there and then it's chipped back and then the volley happens. And this was just like, no, it's just a, a well hit free kick, but it's knowing that Lindsay Rand is going to get on the end of this no matter what. And that's exactly what she does, even while maybe incurring some turf burn. And then anytime I think you have a header sort of like go, like I think there's a hand to it. Then I think it goes off the bar. It's kind of the one, two punch in terms of what you want from like an aesthetic standpoint. So I just found Lindsay Rand uh, as uh, like fun to watch as ever, even if now she is maybe uh, torn up from turf burn. The other one who's, who, other player who I thought was was impressive, maybe just for the highlight moment, was Ashley Sanchez. She helps pull one back for the Spirit with a, a great flick off the corner for the equalizer. How has she been in the start to her pro career? Uh, she was a lot better in this game than she was in her first game, and she had some she had some impressive moments in her first game. Um, but her MO at youth national team level at UCLA and then in that first game uh, of the tournament is that she she just dribbles too much. And you can see why, because she's an incredible dribbler. Like, she's super skilled. But she will just, like, keep going and beat the defender two or three times when she can make an early pass or shot. And I thought she did a much better job uh, against Portland of picking those moments to, to play a pass or a shot first time instead of trying to dribble past somebody and uh to see a rookie like learn that quickly is extremely encouraging to me 
More NWSL chat still to come, I promise you that. But first, I promise you that today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Podiumware. Podiumware is a custom team apparel manufacturer based in Minnesota that is turning the world of team soccer kit ordering on its head. Uh, this is a family-owned business in St. Paul. The founder, Reed Lutter, is super friendly and has built a pretty cool U.S.-based manufacturing business. In normal times, we would talk more about how great this process is, how easy they have made the ordering experience, and how good those designs can be. But these are not normal times because of the COVID-19 crisis. Podium Wear has started making face masks for you to wear while you're out and about on the sideline of a soccer match or even during your workouts. You should wear a mask to both, especially if you're outdoors and around people. Just saying. Uh, Podium Wear is also looking for soccer sales reps to spread their brand across the country. Uh, for more information, you can visit jobs at PodiumWear.com. You go to Podium Wear, you look for jobs, you apply. Hopefully it all works out. So you can go to PodiumWear.com aside from jobs to get your custom mask today and book Mark them for when you're ready to order your next soccer kit order. Uh, that's podiumware.com. Check them out today. Thank you very much to Podiumware for sponsoring this episode. Now back to Kim. So we have uh, Washington continuing to perform okay, I guess. We have what a, a three-way tie for second place on four points. We'll talk about the table in a little bit. Right now I want to talk Amy Rodriguez for a moment because she appears back to peak Amy Rodriguez, uh, Ciara King, uh, already making a pretty big name for herself. Who have you enjoyed most from the Utah Royals? Is it one of those two names or is it somebody else entirely? Uh, Amy Rodriguez is is definitely the player I'd say has been like the most enjoyable to watch, and it's it's great to see like I don't she hasn't looked this quick since like 2015. Mm-hmm. I think the time off has has really benefited her both in like not getting beat up for a few months and probably had the time to put in more like fitness work and more quickness work than she has in a long time, and it's it's really paying off. Like she she looks like she did in her 20s uh, in terms of yeah. her her fitness and her pace. Um, and that's great to see. I've I've really really liked the outside center backs for Utah. They're so they're playing uh, a three five two where the the outside center backs seem to have some some freedom to like uh, dribble past people and like make plays. Looks pretty similar to Sheffield United in the men's game. Hmm. And um, those players, Elizabeth Ball and Kate Delfava, uh, a couple of young players, look really good. Um, sorry to anybody who just heard the slack noise in my microphone. Uh, those two players look look excellent. And uh, I asked Craig Harrington, the coach, about Delfava because she was an attacking midfielder in college. Uh, she scored a lot of goals, and I don't think she's played much center back. And he was just like, hey, she's just a good player. And we have a need at uh, center back right now, and I thought she could fill that. And she might play center mid or attacking mid in the future, but like, she's just a good player that we can put anywhere and she's going to succeed. And I think she's been super impressive. I think the, the thing that I find like equally interesting about the Royals is that they get rid of, or they part ways with Becky Sauerbrunn. Uh, and so when you're talking about like important center backs, you would have assumed that she would have been in that conversation where she's still there. I guess my question then is with the system he's running, uh, would Craig Harrington have been able to do that with Becky Sauerbrunn in there is sort of moving her on. Does that allow him to then sort of like utilize the players he wants in the way he wants? I think it would have been an either or with Sauerbrunn and Rachel Corsi um, in this system. Like, I don't think you can play either of them as the like one of the outside center backs uh, in a three. I also don't think Harrington's like completely dedicated to this system. I think he looked at the talent available and decided like this is the best thing for the talent available. I think he can coach you know a back four just fine, 
and that if that's the you know the personnel that becomes available i think they'll probably switch between this and and some kind of back four system next season once he's had a chance to you know acquire players that he that he wants um but no i don't think becky sauerbrunn and rachel corsi could have played together in this system all right. So we've got uh, Utah figuring out the defense. We've got the Dash figuring out life, I guess is how I'm going to phrase that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that enough. might be the team that has been most surprising to me. I think I believe you just wrote an article about this. Uh, how have the Dash sort of turned things around? What has head coach Clarkson done uh, to get this team performing as well as they have been? I think that they really needed to make some trades in the offseason, and they did. They had some players who uh, I don't think are necessarily uh, – like bad personalities, but like for, for whatever reason, the mix between the players Houston wanted to build around and the ones they traded and just like the way those people were feeling being in Houston made for like just a really, a a culture that was not working. Um, and they were, they played like really slow. They didn't, um, I don't want to say they didn't play hard because like, of course everybody tries hard, but there's a difference between like, being a professional and showing up and, you know, like, and doing your job and like actually really like that, that next level of like intensity. And they just never had it for years. And now they, they trade away these players who were kind of looking, looking down or not necessarily having the best attitude in Houston. And they bring in players who are known for being just like pests and being like really annoying to play against and, uh, extremely physical players like Shea Groom, like Katie Stengel. And suddenly they look kind of like, uh, I guess we can say like diet North Carolina in, <laughs> st- in style of play and attitude. And they just like, they finally look like they're serious. Houston is, is the, uh, the team that Kristen press refused to join a few years ago. Correct. Reportedly, I don't okay. know if that's true or not, but uh, well, I guess I guess I ask because I'm wondering like how hard is that to shake off? Like if you are seen as one of the league's like undesirable teams, it seems like everybody wants to go to Portland. Everybody would like to play for North Carolina if that were a possibility. How do teams like Houston, like Sky Blue, like how do they go about sort of changing that name recognition, changing that reputation? Is it performances on the field and just getting in players that are hungry? Is it maybe signing names the way, say, like Sky Blue have gone about with Mallory Pugh to sort of show that, like, no, like big players want to still play here, big players want to make something happen? <laughs> you just got to win some games, man. All right, or that. <laughs> <laughs> like- if if you're if you're if you suck, mm-hmm. people don't want to play for you. And if you win games, then people want to play for you. Well, speaking of teams that aren't so good, let's talk rain, shall we? Uh, that's another one that I did not really see coming. They have not been good so far. What is going on with them, and what happens next for them? I mean, it's hard to explain, right? Because their roster looks good, even without Megan Rapinoe. They, you know, their team looks good. You you see the lineup they put out this weekend. It's a lineup that. Uh, makes sense you know like there's a there's a good balance there's good talent there's no reason that lineup should suck and they were they were horrible like there's no there's no sugarcoating it or like oh they're you know team in progress but like no they just sucked they're just really bad and um and i don't know why um like there's the obvious stuff like okay they didn't defend well and they didn't have good movement and attack and they didn't get the ball into the box but like 
I can't tell you why they mm-hmm. didn't do those things because they fielded good players in a sensible in a sensible way, and then the players just all were bad. But like, it can't just be that they all are just consistently bad. That like that that seems to indicate to me like a, either a lack of motivation, which is unlikely given the break, or more so that they don't understand what's being asked of them, or they don't necessarily understand how to play together yet. Which maybe maybe makes it a fault of the coaching. But are, is your maybe maybe feeling so far that it's some combination of everything with some other like outside elements thrown in? Yeah, one or more of those things has to be true, right? Mm-hmm. Because. Those 11 players that they fielded, if you just pick those 11 players and say, okay, you guys are the lineup, we're playing 4-3-3 with, with these players, go have fun. And that's and that's all the instruction you give them. They should be better than what they were against Houston. So, so given that, there's a problem. Either, I don't, and I don't know if that that's a... Uh, a locker room problem, a, a lack of motivation problem, a coach giving them very bad instructions problem, or all of the above. But one of those things is true because those players properly motivated in a good mood with no tactical instructions play better than they played against Houston. Then from what you've seen, we have uh, two midweek games this week. We've got Utah uh, versus Rain. We've got Sky Blue versus Houston Dash. Of the two sort of underperforming-ish teams in Rain, Sky Blue, who do you think is more likely to get the results midweek? <laughs> That's a really good question. I think that both of those teams are uh, not very good and not likely to get results. All right, um, let's do it this way then. If Sky Blue play Rain, <laughs> who's getting the result there? <laughs> Well, they well they did play and it was nil nil. <laughs> I guess I guess I felt like that was going to be sort of an outlier of like oh, okay, it's like the first couple rounds back, like they're getting used to it, and now they're going to grow into it. If they played yeah. now, does and, it finish nil nil or is it still? Yes. Oh and man. That's the, and that's the only game the whole tournament that sucked, right? <laughs> yeah. Every every, <laughs> every other game, even like Portland Chicago was nil nil, but it was still a good game. Yeah. Like every other game <laughs> in this tournament has been both exciting and high quality soccer and that game was neither it was boring <laughs> and it was bad and like it was sometimes games are boring because both teams have a really good mm-hmm. game plan and defend really well that game was boring because both teams sucked and both teams have continued to suck <laughs> and i think they're both going to lose uh in uh, the midweek games yeah. like i think that both of those teams just have bad ideas right now uh, so then slightly more like high profile, high octane games uh, on the weekend on Sunday. We've got the Spirit versus Dash and Red Stars versus Royals. Uh, if you were going to tell people to watch one of those games, which one would you uh, advise them to watch? And let's say for sake of argument, we're we're saying this is a West Coast uh, person you're talking to. So the 10 p.m. kickoff time for Red Stars versus Utah doesn't factor in as much. Well, I have no idea what we're going to see in the weekend games mm-hmm. because... It's everybody's fourth game, and everybody's got to play a quarterfinal. Um, so I would not be surprised if all eight teams rested all of their starters for the for the final uh, group stage games. So for that reason, I'm not sure. <laughs> all right, I I don't I I can't make any predictions because I don't think that any team in the weekend games is going to field anything even resembling their strongest lineup. 
So when do you think we, we know for like North Carolina aside, when do you think we know for sure who those like second and third best teams in the league are going to be? Do you feel like we have that answer right now, even with some of the rotation and, and lack of squad depth that we're seeing? Or do you think we need a couple more games? I don't think we're going to know until until they play the quarterfinals, honestly. And then and then that's when we have like with knockout round on the line, maybe that's when we see that motivation increase and the kind of all around performances increase. Yeah, because like right now, Red Stars are, you know, seventh in the table. I think you get Red Stars into a knockout game when, you know, their starters have been rested. They're the one team we know for sure. They will play a second 11 in their in their final group stage game and rest their quarterfinal starting 11, period. Um, Rory Dames has been extremely upfront about that. Um, I, so we're going to we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see until that quarterfinal how good Chicago is. My hypothesis is that they're very good and that they're going to win that quarterfinal but uh we'll see uh same thing with dash like i i think dash are playing very well i think they're very much improved and i think they could win a quarterfinal but until they get into that situation we don't really know so final question for you then like for people who are who are just started sort of getting into the league or getting into the competition who are maybe the three teams that you would say are most likely to be entertaining for whatever reason. It could be because they've got the star power. It could be because they play like high pressing soccer. Or they're just really exciting to watch, or it could just be because they're a train wreck and that makes them fun to watch. Um, if if you are coming into the league like fresh with no like prior year baggage or anything, um, obviously the North Carolina Courage mm-hmm. are awesome to watch. Um, longtime fans of the league. Uh, for, who are not courage fans really don't like the courage for a variety of reasons. Um, but if you're coming in fresh and just like, you just want to watch a good soccer game, mm-hmm. uh, they're really good. Uh, I would say right now, Houston and spirit are the other, are the other two teams um, that, you know, I don't necessarily think they're the second and third best teams in the league, but I think they are the second and third most entertaining teams right now. But do a combination Houston uh, spirit uh, team, do they handle the North Carolina Courage? If you've got like a lot of fight and tenacity with Rose Lavelle playing balls around the midfield, are they any closer to the North Carolina Courage than, say, the Chicago Pride? That's a really good question now, actually. I, I think that if you if you took the mentality of like we're going to we're going to just do the courage thing back to the courage, like we're we're not going to try any of the traditional strategies that people have tried to like play around them or like exploit their um, kind of like lack of width at the box midfield. Like we're just going to, we're going to play the same fast and direct style they do back at them. I like, I kind of wonder how they'd handle it. And I feel like the, the spirit dash combo would like maybe have the players to pull that off. Uh, you mentioned how they would handle that. I'm, I'm wondering how have you handled uh, all of the soccer that's been happening. Have you have you been sleeping at all? Are you able to keep up with everything? No, my sleep schedule's terrible because yeah. like of how far apart the games are. And, and you're and you're you're East Coast, right? So I'm imagining that 10, 10 p.m. kickoff time is not the most yeah. forgiving for you. <laughs> and for my job, I have to write a morning post every day. Oh boy! So oh boy. like, and and we're not like doing the interviews or in person or anything. We have to submit questions. And then we're like reliant on NWSL staff who's like, obviously it's like a, you know, they didn't want to let a bunch of people into the bubble because it's already kind of, uh, you know, they just, they just don't, they want as few people there as possible. 
just to minimize mm-hmm. the the risk, right? So they have very small number of people there handling the entire media's questions, and then we have to like wait for the videos to come back, and nobody's actually done with the post game stuff until you know one one thirty in the morning Eastern time, and then uh, I have a morning post to write. So. Uh, I'm not handling it well is what I'm telling you. Well, you seem to be handling it well, given that we are recording this uh, Monday morning. You've already put out one post, so you've already been productive than most people. Uh, I lied to you, though, because I do have one more question for you. You mentioned the, like, the, like how many people are there sort of handling media requests. What have you made of the coverage so far? Have you been pleased with what you've seen from CBS? Are there areas that they could improve? Because I will be honest, like I have not seen the pre- and post-game stuff, but I have seen the tweets about the pre- and post-game stuff that has been <sighs> occasionally praising, mostly frustrated. Um, yeah, so what it, by, by occasionally praising, praising mostly frustrated, what you mean is everybody is praising Sandra Herrera and everybody is frustrated with Thomas Rangan. That is correct. <laughs> that is 100% correct. It's usually uh, the patience of one is getting praised. Yes. Uh, yeah. San- Sandra has done an incredible job uh, keeping her cool while Thomas Rongen spouts absolute nonsense. And is that like, like not trying to be forgiving, but is that him sort of being like quote unquote thrown into this. Cause like there's, there's the idea that CBS could take over the champions league and that like, he might have to like be doing double duty or something like that. But that would be a thing that they wouldn't have seen coming because Turner dropped the broadcast rights with this. I would assume he had time to prepare and learn players names and know what position they were playing or if they were playing at all on any given day. Okay. So here, I think to do a better job than he has takes a very, very small amount of effort. Um, the lineups come out at least 30 minutes mm-hmm. before he goes on the air. So in so he's got 30 minutes to to look at the lineups, uh, figure out okay who in this who in this lineup do I actually know a thing about um, that I can I can say something about and like make a couple notes. I think that even if you have a very like minimal baseline knowledge of the league and you're not an expert that. 30 minutes is enough time to prepare yourself and not sound like a complete idiot. And he fails that very basic test. So what would you like to see changed if, if this were to happen again, or if we get another sort of tournament like this, or even just next season, if CBS continues to broadcast it or when they continue to broadcast it, what would you like to see changed? Who do you think could do a better job yourself aside? Anybody who watches women's soccer? <laughs> no, it's like it's really been that bad and and it's genuinely embarrassing. Well, so then like but if he is watching, you would assume that like as he's watching the games, he's picking up information and learning about the players and learning inclinations and that's one of my favorite things about tournament formats is that you get the sort of the regularity of the games. You can see like oh, Davinia like cuts back onto her foot and then looks for that ball. That's a thing I'm going to look for every time and when she does it, I'm going to like remark on it, praise it. Like is it apathy then, do you think? Is it just sort of like, I'm going to kind of stick with the standard narrative, stick with the standard notes? Is it the big game thing of like people only want to hear or the idea that people only want to hear about the big names, so we're only going to talk about the big names? It's absolutely apathy. Hmm. I mean, like, Thomas Rongen has been on TV for a while, and he was a, a very, and he was a decent coach. Like, he's not like, it's not like he doesn't know anything about soccer, or doesn't know how to watch a soccer game. 
I, I have no rebuttal to that. So then if if CBS continues on with it, do you think that maybe he can just offset it by having even flashier bow ties? Would that be the way to go? Um, I think the way to go is to hire somebody who watches women's soccer games. All right. Well, uh, CBS, uh, I hope you all are accepting uh, applications. Uh, until that happens, Kim, I appreciate you taking the time on this Monday morning, uh, though you are sleep-deprived, uh, to talk about all things NWSL with me, and I look forward to doing it again in the near future. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm going to go take a nap. 